Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Wednesday, the 29th of September. This is Mornings with Carmen. Um, let me do a little what I will call clean up on aisle five. Uh, so I am going to attempt to do today what I fell short of accomplishing in uh, in the view of many of you yesterday. So here's, uh, and again, I just absolutely recognize that um, not everybody who was listening yesterday is listening today, and not everybody who is listening today was listening yesterday. So, like, I get that. I get that. So um, let me remind uh, all of us that what we're attempting to do is have very complicated conversations about conflicting realities. And so I want to acknowledge that, and I want to acknowledge the complicated and conflicted reality that Christians face in the country today. I think that's what we're doing every day on the show and not exclusively related to COVID vaccines, but in an ever-widening chasm between um, what those of us who are operating by the mind of Christ are led to do and what the world is then demanding that we do. Like, I recognize that's an ever-widening chasm. I did an insufficient job yesterday acknowledging um, the the absolute uh, religious freedom that you possess in relationship to this conversation. I was attempting to have part of the conversation in response to um, a listener email, and I did an an insufficient job emphasizing a couple of things. And you reminded me of those things, and so let me uh, set those out this morning Um, One of you reminded me of the first principle of the Nuremberg Code, which is absolutely um, essential in the conversation we're having in the country today, and I think rarely um, surfaced and brought up, and that is the voluntary consent of a human subject. And right now, you know, we're still talking about a vaccine that is very experimental um, and unproven and untested over time and and all of that. So, yes, absolutely, the the first principle of the Nuremberg Code which is the voluntary consent of a human subject. I should have referenced that yesterday. Dr. Barrows and I should have talked about that. That is a really good um, good thing to be reminded of, so thank you. I should have also emphasized how thoroughly I respect the first and foundational freedom of the Constitution of the United States, our freedom of religious conviction, religious expression. Um, our It's sanctified. I mean, I, I get that, and so let me clearly say this morning, Let me clearly say this morning, I recognize, and again, not everyone listening yesterday is listening today. Not everyone listening today is listening now. I get that. Let me say it anyway. I affirm your religious freedom to follow the leading of the Lord in all matters of life. I affirm your religious freedom to follow the leading of the Lord in all matters of life. I should have said it out loud. I will say it out loud every time we talk about Uh, the vaccine going forward. That'll be my commitment to you. Second, for those of you whom I have heard from 
um, about uh, religious exemptions that are being honored in by healthcare employers in particular across the country. Thank you for that. Um, thank you for that input. When I was talking with Dr. Barrows yesterday, uh, and he he shared with us that none of the members of his organization, the Christian Medical and Dental Association, who had communicated with him about how their employers had responded to their request for religious exemptions, none of them who communicated with him had received them. That doesn't mean that nobody in CMDA has gotten a religious exemption. He, we, he and I should have paused there and clarified exactly the group of people that he was talking about because the people he has heard from have had their requests denied. That doesn't mean that people are not getting, uh, not having their religious exemptions honored across the country in many, many places and spaces. Uh, And so thank you. I heard from several of you yesterday via the text line and email sharing that you and others uh, that you know personally have filed religious exemptions and those have been granted. They're being respected and honored And so um, thank you for all of that input as well. Again, thank you for making this a conversation and for the ways in which you chose to communicate yesterday with me, um, but the way that you choose to communicate about things that you hear on the program all the time. So thank you. Let me say this. God's grace is sufficient. His mercies are new every morning, right? Amen. Thank you uh, for your grace and your participation in the ongoing conversations. First up this morning, we've got our friend, Pastor Daryl Crouch, on the line. He has an encouraging word for those in leadership who may be feeling discouraged. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Daryl Crouch is back. He is a pastor. He blogs uh, at Daryl Crouch on Substack, so you can find him on Substack.com. He also serves an organization called Everyone's Wilson that I personally love and have a deep affection for. Daryl, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. It's great to hear from you. Yeah, great to be back with you. So um, Eeyore, Eeyore is one of Mm -hmm. my favorite characters. Um, Eeyore has a sadness complex. Eeyore sort of lives in the reality of discouragement. So um, your uh, your post, when the leader gets discouraged, three practices to break free from Eeyore, your captor, caught my attention. Yeah, we love Eeyore. I mean, we we because we relate to Eeyore. It's my birthday, the happiest day of the year. So we we <laughs> uh, we we get that, and uh, many leaders uh, are uh, doing their dead level best to uh, to lead their organizations, whether they're pastors, whether they're um, uh, business leaders, uh, nonprofit leaders, a radio host, uh, whatever the case may be. And um, th- this is a very difficult environment. And sometimes I think, I heard someone say recently, sometimes we put a kind of a Christian spin on our discouragement and, um, you know, think that it's somehow outside of the norm. Uh, but the the truth of the matter is, you can't read the the Bible, particularly the Psalms or uh, some other other places in Paul's writings, you, and and think that that discouragement is an outlier. It's really not. It's a part of the experience, and uh, in a fallen world, and and the Lord uses it in big ways. But it doesn't have to define us. It doesn't have to get into our DNA, and it certainly doesn't have to. Um, 
um, to derail our, our leadership and, um, and put us in, in, a, in a bad place over time. And so we really can break free from it, but we have to be honest about it. Okay, talk about the countenance of um, of people in the congregation. I am hyper aware of this um, because I have, you know, stood in front of groups of people and spoken, and and there are people who, um, you know, they're paying attention, they're engaged, their eyes are up, their face, uh, the, their face says. Um, you know, I may not agree with what you're saying, but you're doing a good job. And I respect the fact that it's really hard to stand up there in front of a whole lot of people and say what you're saying. Like, right. Mm -hmm. But there are other people whose countenance, whose face communicates that they're not for me and they're not with me when I'm talking. I mean, even if people sitting in the congregation and people sitting in, you know, in auditoriums where people are doing their dead level best to be up there in the front communicating. Our countenance matters when we're listening to them. Well, that's a great, yeah, I appreciate that. And every pastor appreciates you bringing that up. I think uh, we we all deal with that in different ways. And, and I think as we listen and as we engage with our church family and as we try to follow our pastor and, and the other elders or, or pastors that are leading us, I think it's just really important. Um, you mentioned in the f- first segment, you know, this we, we all need a lot of grace, and we we all uh, are are recipients of grace and should be grace givers. And sometimes we can get uh, very myopic and very very consumed with our p- personal feelings about a particular thing, whether it's the personality of the pastor or whether it's the way something's going. And I'm not talking about heresy or immoral or, or or abusive behavior of the leader. I'm I'm just as a, as honest good faith leaders are 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 leading. You're you're going to not disagree. You're going you're not going to agree with everything they do. And and there may be some some uh, leadership priorities that they have that you may not have. But I think in Christian brotherhood and sisterhood and in the family of faith, we have to be a people who are cheering for each other. These are very difficult times. We are pushing back darkness. The conversations that pastors are required to have now regarding social issues and health care issues and political issues, racial issues, the, the conversations that are so in front of our people every day that pastors are having to walk through are very challenging, and um, as we know uh, personally. And so I think if as we can... As we can be cheerleaders and believe in our pastors, uh, they're going to do a better job. And it doesn't mean you can't correct them or, or have uh, that maybe an overstatement, but that you can't have conversations that look to influence them in a particular direction and share your heart with them. But um, but we 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 just really need each other. And so yes, your countenance, the look on your face, the engagement that you have as your pastor is preaching the gospel and. And pushing back darkness on Sundays uh, is incredibly important. And um, and what you do um, in the hallways and behind the pastor's back, so to speak, and how you support your pastor when he's not around is uh, just equally as important and um, maybe more important in the, in the health of the church family. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Pastor Daryl Crouch here in just a moment. We're going to talk about um, things we can do in terms of discouragement when we experience it in our own lives as Christians. So you're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we'll be right back. Nobody wants to be my friend. 
What's a donkey to do? Okay, I do Nobody love Eeyore. That yeah, is that's great. awesome. Paul Perot, excellent job. Excellent job. All right, we're talking with Pastor Daryl Crouch from Everyone's Wilson. You can find him online at Everyone's Wilson. You can also find him at his Substack on Substack.com, Daryl Crouch. Um, we're talking about discouragement. We're talking about when we as Christians or Christian leaders become discouraged. What's the first step, Daryl, when we become discouraged? Well, I, th- I think just to be honest about it, I say in the mm-hmm. article, you know, name it. Just let, let's allow lament to be a part of our lives. And I, I've not always, I, it's a little bit of a confessional uh, post, but I, you know, I've not always been good at that. I just <clears throat> never had a place for lament, never thought it was faithful. And, um, and it's um, obvious I didn't read the Bible very well. Uh, David was very open about his suffering, his emotional grief that he uh, was working through. And uh, he had many sleepless nights. And I think just to be honest about that, and many leaders, particularly pastors who I know pretty well, um, have a very difficult time. And talking to a pastor yesterday, he said, you know, there's just not really a space in my church family for me to be sad. Like there's no place for me. Like if I do that on a Sunday morning, well, that that's really a wet blanket. And if um, if I do that in front of my leaders, that's <clears throat> they it may compromise my influence. And and so a lot of pastors just don't feel like there's a there's a place for them to be sad. Therefore, they kind of stuff it and uh, work through it. And um, you know, I think uh, one of the consequences we we think about Moses beating the rock and disqualifying himself and from going into the promised land. Um, I think that's where a lot of our pastors and leaders are. We've, we, we, we have this anger uh, that has come from this place of discouragement and uh, because we've not dealt with it very well, not been honest about it. So I think we really have to begin by just saying, you know, this is a thing and this isn't a terrible thing. Like this isn't tragic. This isn't debilitating, but it is real. And so to be honest about the fact that, hey, that didn't go very well, or my dreams and, and the hopes and the prayers and the calling on my life hasn't, it hasn't really worked out the way I thought it would, but um, all is not lost and Jesus is alive and, and the Lord is, is good. And so I think just to own it. All right. So once we have, uh, once we have named it, once we have, you know, taken that deep breath and acknowledged it, um, what does it mean to receive it? Well, I think every, uh, you know, we, we know that God is sovereign over everything that comes into our lives. And um, this idea that we can always be on top of the world, that somehow the life is lived on the mountaintop. Uh, I don't know if that comes, I, I, I think it comes from some sort of twisted theology sometimes of a health, wealth, prosperity. Sometimes it comes now in this era because we see other leaders on social media and we only post the good news, right? So we only post the wins and the victories. Uh, we don't post the bad days. And I think there's good reasons for that uh, sometimes. And so I think there's a there's an external pressure that we must always be winning. And the fact of the matter is, and we know this in parenting, uh, losing the big game is as much a lesson as winning the big game. And the Lord does as much in the on the the minor keys as he does in the other keys and so sometimes there's 
there's there's just black notes somebody said that needs to be played and and I just I, I don't know that we've come to appreciate that uh, we don't celebrate that and I think there's reasons for that but again I think understanding that lament Ron Dunn and I quote him a lot and I quote him in this thing he he used to say good and bad run on parallel tracks and they normally show up uh, at the same time and so you you may have a wonderful victory today uh, I was able to marry my daughter off this since I've talked to you last uh, but there's also been, yeah, and it was a wonderful day, but there's also been some some difficult days, some funerals along the way in the same season. So I, th- I think we, we have to expect that and receive it and know that God is at work in it. Melancholy um, is, I think, mm-hmm. a part of this conversation. Um, you raise it as, uh, you know, a, a sort of a reminder that Winnie the Pooh's friend Eeyore mm-hmm. never gets past his, mol- his melancholy. Um, I think we're tempted to look at that word in English and see the word holy at the end of it, um, mm-hmm. failing to recognize that <clears throat> actually you have to put the C in there, and uh, and it's actually a word for bile. And mm-hmm. so um, I think there's a there's a challenge that we face um, sometimes when we sort of buy into the idea that it's just okay to sort of have a depressed or depressive or melan- you know, a melancholy personality, that is one thing. Um, it's another thing to live in that in such a way that you become depressed and disengaged and isolated and, um, and, and you know, and, and frankly mm-hmm. despairing. So can you talk about avoiding that temptation and allowing ourselves to, um, to go there? Yeah, it's really well said. I, I think the... Uh, struggle that many leaders have is that we, we, particularly pastors who are preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel and discipling people, and there's such a hopefulness about who Jesus is and what he's done that, that really does motivate us. But uh, when we step off the platform uh, and we go back home or we get into our quiet place, there's a disparity between what we're saying in front of people and, and how we're feeling um, when we're alone. And, and so I think that that can get into our bloodstream a little bit and begin to define us. And so we become angry preachers. Uh, we say the right things, but our tone is different. We um, uh, do the right things, but our disposition is different. And sometimes we begin by our own attitudes, not just by our words. Our words are usually pretty on on track, but by our attitudes and the way that we lead in the office, for example, we begin to catechize our people and they become angry or they become discouraged. And so I think, um, first of all, anxiety and depression um, and uh, this sense of gloom can become a chronic thing. And and pastors and leaders need to get help. Uh, there's counseling available. There's friends available. There's, there's professionals that are available that can walk you through those things. And so none of us need to go it alone and none of us need to feel like um, – you know, we don't need counseling or, you know, that's some sort of um, uh, bad thing. I think we need to to be very vulnerable and transparent with somebody that can help us. But I do think um, if we're not careful as leaders, we can take on a martyr complex that uh, this is my life and I'll just take the suffering. Um, but we really never leave it with the Lord and trust him with it to sanctify us. Uh, there really is uh, I went on a backpacking trip recently. We were in high altitude. I didn't sleep well the night before. So I, I head to the bear uh, canister 
Um, and uh, my buddy said, how'd you sleep last night? I said, terrible, but I'm a happy sufferer. And um, so I just decided that day that although I didn't sleep very well, we were in beautiful part of the world and I was going to be happy as a sufferer. And I do think there is joy even in the middle of uh, sleepless nights. And I do believe we can look and behold the beauty of the Lord and see that he is at work so that discouragement doesn't have to define us. Uh, we can look into the hills and in, in which come our help. And so, um, so I, I think there's some decisions that we have to make about what kind of leader and what kind of person we're going to be despite the brokenness that's around us. Daryl, as always, um, thank you so much. Congratulations to you and your family. Um, and, and then also, yeah. you know, just the acknowledgement that our families of faith uh, continue to face challenges and struggles. That's not unique to this time that we're in, but it, it feels different than it felt yeah. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years yeah. ago. And so um, prayers for you and those with whom you labor every single day in everyone's Wilson. We appreciate it. Well, I appreciate that. And and I just encourage your folks to love your pastors. It's Pastor Appreciation Month coming up. So just uh, love on those folks and uh, be generous in your encouragement and your uh, giving. Amen, amen, and amen. All right, we uh, we love you, man. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you so much, Carmen. We're going to be back right after a very brief break. We're going to hear from Greg Laurie. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, everybody has heard of the Nobel Peace Prize, yes? Well, do you know anyone who has been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize? Maybe you do, maybe you do. I know one. Her name is Juliana Tamarazzi. She is a Nobel Peace Prize nominee this year, right now, and she joins us next here on Mornings with Carmen. C.S. Lewis once said, pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. I don't doubt God's ability to bless us. I just wonder how painful it's going to be. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. It's amazing to me how pain brings certain blessings our way. Some only seen in the rearview mirror with time and perspective. My wife, for example, struggled through some agonizing circumstances in her childhood. But because of it, she is wise, compassionate, and has a tireless patience with struggling kids. In my work with teens, I'm often reminded that God doesn't waste pain. He has a purpose for it, and he promises to use every painful passage for his good. As C.S. Lewis said, pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. Mark Gregston has more helpful resources for you at parentingtodaysteens.org. is a leading international advocate. She's a speaker. She's a writer. She advances awareness of the persecution of Christians in the Middle East. In 2007, Juliana founded the Iraqi Christian Relief Council, seeking to shine a light on the plight of our Christian brothers and sisters in her ancestral homeland, the Assyrian Christians, uh, seeking to raise funds, deliver food, shelter, and medicine in Iraq. Um, She has been tireless 
at pressing the full force of her life into this concern. And the world has taken note. She has now been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Juliana, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. It's so good to be with you. So um, one of the things that I just want to tell people right off is that you are a person who is personally precious to me. And I love you dearly. And I will, you know, never forget and treasure the times that we walked in uh, in in Jerusalem and had an opportunity to visit there about the plight of uh, the persecuted religious minorities in the region. So thank you. Thank you, my sister, for your faithfulness over so a long a period of time. And I recognize your work is not done. Thank you, Carmen. I hope you hear the excitement in your voice that I get to speak with you again. And I love you dearly. You're my sister in Christ. And I always think about our time in Israel together and how uh, we connected. And and you yourself have been such a tireless advocate for the church, for the body of Christ everywhere, regardless of it, um, the division that we have in the body. But you really have been my sister and you have always given me this platform. And uh, God bless you and your listeners, truly. It's so good to be with you again. It's so great to have you. So, okay. Um, this is really cool. I don't know anybody else who's ever been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Um, I'm really excited that you've been nominated. I understand that uh, Friday, October the 8th at four in the morning, my time is when I'm supposed to be paying really close attention. Um, tell us about, you know, sort of like how does this happen? And uh, and then how are you how do you find out? Do you find out with everybody else? Um, you know, it was really interesting because uh, I had I was traveling. I've known since December, and but I wasn't allowed to talk about this. And I was traveling to see my mom by car, and I blew a tire. It was December. It was cold. I was on by the side of the road for about four hours. And uh, my chairman, the chairman of our board, whom you know, Pastor Fischler, contacted me. And he said, I need to speak with you. And I was in the Uber going back home to my own home. Um, and I said, Pastor David, I'm hungry. I'm cold. I've been outside for a while. He said, no, 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 this is really important. You've been nominated by Cambridge University for the Nobel. And I was stunned and I started to weep in the car and the Uber driver really got scared. He said, oh, my goodness, are you OK? Um, yeah, it was, that's how we found out. And then afterwards, um, one of the Christian parliamentarians in the Kurdistan regional government, uh, um, nominated me and then someone in Armenia, a professor in Armenia nominated me as well. So it, it, they started coming one by one. Um, it's been such a blessing. It's been, uh, to be honest, overwhelming, nerve wracking, uh, because I ask, why me? And how is it that I've been so beyond blessed by this? But at the same time, I realize what an immense and massive summons this is, the responsibility that it brings with it. Um, and what a, what a great blessing it is for my people. Carmen, this, uh, this belongs to the persecuted church. This belongs to all those that have suffered tremendously, regardless of their faith, but the, the ones that are really harassed and persecuted, the innocent, it's for the innocent. And um, we'll see if God, if God uh, see us deserving, we will bring it home. Let's, um, let's do what, uh, what you and I are passionate about doing together, and that is raise awareness about the plight of Christians, uh, specifically 
uh, Assyrian Christians, Iraqi Christians. Talk about the Iraqi Christian Relief Council um, and, you know, your own personal testimony as a part of that. Um, you know, I was born and raised in Iran as an Assyrian Christian, and I was smuggled out in 1989 uh, twice, once out of Iran into Switzerland, and then once again into Germany, where we sought religious asylum. And we were blessed to come to the, to the United States almost now 31 years ago. Um, you all remember when America went to war with Iraq and one and a half million Christians, Chaldeans, Assyrians and Syriacs came under fire due to um, Islamic radicalism there. And uh, today, from one and a half million, we only have 150,000 people left inside Iraq. Um, about uh, 20,000 of them, 25,000, are still living as refugees after ISIS attacked in 2014 in Turkey, Lebanon, and Jordan. This is the second holy land. This is the land where Daniel was, where uh, Prophet Nahum in Al-Qush was, and his shrine is still there where Jonah went, to Nineveh, and this is the second Holy Land. But today, there are only 150,000 Christians left. And uh, what, I've, uh, what I did in 2007, we saw that no one really paid attention to a million and a half Christians in Iraq that were just severely persecuted. So I started the ministry because uh, Cardinal Francis George, uh, the late Cardinal Francis George, um, advised me and, and his uh, team there advised me to start this ministry. Uh, you know, Carmen, we've been relentless since 2007, raising awareness, um, raising funds, and we've been on the forefront of uh, relieving their suffering, whether it has been repairing their homes after ISIS was pushed out, although now it's active again, unfortunately, and we can talk about that later. But uh, we have repaired homes. We have dug wells for cleaning uh, for clean water for them because everything was destroyed by ISIS. Uh, we have repaired monasteries, uh, created educational opportunities for children inside Iraq, uh, COVID relief, food relief, medical relief, and outside in the region, in, in Lebanon, Turkey, Jordan, we have helped pay their rent and medicine. But it's such a massive problem, and we really need partners. We need uh, you guys to continue to stand with us, as you have been for the last 14 and a half years. Juliana, let's take a very brief break, and when we come back, let's talk about what you just alluded to, um, which are the challenges, the ongoing uh, and even renewed and new threats that Assyrian Christians face in the Middle East today. We are talking with Juliana Tamarazzi. You can find information about Juliana and her work at IraqiChristianRelief.org, IraqiChristianRelief.org. We'll be right back. Juliana Tamarazzi is pressing the full force of her life into one concern, and that is the concern of our brothers and sisters in Christ, um, who are the indigenous children of what we would understand as ancient Mesopotamia, the land between two rivers. Um, this is a group of Christians identifiable as Assyrian, um, also known as Chaldean or Syriac, depending on their particular uh, Christian denominational affiliation. They have become the target of Islamic radicalism in ways that others of us have not. And we are talking today about the efforts of the Iraqi Christian Relief 
uh, organization, which you can find at iraqichristianrelief.org. And related to that, Juliana's nomination to receive a Nobel Peace Prize, um, which just brings um, an awareness to this and a public um, you know, opportunity to highlight once again and, and raise to people's you know, sort of immediate consciousness what's going on with our brothers and sisters in this region. So, Juliana, um, share with us, if you will, sort of the status of uh, Assyrian Christians in the Middle East today and their ongoing and renewed threats uh, that they face. Uh, beginning in 2019, uh, ISIS started reorganizing, and within the last three months, they've been pretty active uh, inside Iraq, mainly around the Kirkuk area. Um, and uh, what they are doing is they're setting up fake checkpoints or attacking the government checkpoints, uh, holding people for ransom. Started, they've started beheading people. This is mainly um, against Muslims at this time. There has not been any attacks against Christians, but we are extremely afraid that this is uh, coming. This is something that will happen within the next, uh, God forbid, but they're anticipating something happening within the next six to nine months or so, um, because this has the hallmark of everything that had happened as soon as the troops pulled out in 2011. Um, and with the tragedies that we see every day on the news or we read about in Afghanistan, that has emboldened um, the, the the terrorists in Syria and in Iraq. So we wrote a letter, myself and my partners at Yazda, which is a Yazidi uh, organization, advocacy organization. And Yazidis are another minority group in Iraq who came under severe fire by or severe persecution by ISIS in 2014. We wrote a letter to President Biden imploring him not to pull the 2,500 or so uh, soldiers that we have, U.S. soldiers that we have in Iraq, because that will bring about another calamity, another tragedy, another genocide, really, against the minorities inside Iraq, and really against Muslims as well, because Muslims also suffered inside Iraq uh, when ISIS came in. So, um, so, but we, uh, we're not sure if this is something that he will um, listen to or he will give us an opportunity to meet with, or uh, Secretary Blinken, if he would give us an opportunity to meet with him to speak about this, but this is what we're trying to do. Uh, we're not asking for troop deployment, but we're asking for the troops that are already stationed there strategically to stay. Uh, otherwise, um, directly, the U.S. interests are going to be affected if U.S. troops pull out of Iraq, because Iran has infiltrated Iraq very severely, very seriously, and they're using the Christian area, the Nineveh Plain, which is right around Mosul. Uh, it's a 1,600-square-mile area where Christians live uh, as a corridor to go to the Mediterranean. And we know um, the appetite, Iranian appetite, to destroy Israel. We all are aware of that. So we're asking the U.S. troops to stay inside Iraq to protect the region and really the national security for the United States. So for those of you who have long listened uh, to this program, um, references to the Nineveh Plain, references to the Levant, references to uh, the plight of Christians in the region and uh, the needs that they have and various efforts to assist them, uh, this is a familiar conversation. I want to um, highlight uh, one of the things that Juliana said there, and that is uh, the partner organization of Yazda. You could find them at 
Y-A-Z-D-A dot O-R-G, in case you were looking for that. Um, And remember that you can find uh, Juliana and the efforts of the Iraqi Christian Relief Council at iraqichristianrelief.org. Juliana, when we talk about um, access and distribution, um, one of the things that occurs to me that is not disrupted by the U.S. military leaving Afghanistan or leaving, you know, and and therefore having a diminished influence in the region writ large, um, is that the church present through the people who you know on the ground, you know, they're not leaving. Um, Well, many of them have already left, but those who are there are in large measure not leaving. The church is going to be present in these places and spaces and ongoing relationships with people on the ground who uh, who continue to be people of light in places that are very very dark, um, you know that that is really strategic in terms of our ability to not only care for other members of the body of Christ, but through them to care for others. So I just really see you and what you're doing as n- not only in wonderful and crucial in relationship to the people first served, right, our brothers and sisters in Christ, but through them, how those places continue to be um, affected because there is a Christian presence, albeit small. Um, Thank you for saying that, because if we can focus for a moment to Afghanistan, um, there are so many Afghans who have converted to Christianity. And I've known about this for probably about seven years of the massive movement in South Afghanistan. But now I'm in touch with them because we're trying to uh, help them if if they're staying behind, helping them um, if they want to leave. Also, I'm involved with some of the extraction efforts. Um, but there are three massive underground churches that are currently living in fear. But they refuse to renounce him. Um, They say once we were Muslim, now we have seen uh, the love of Christ and we will, at the point of death, we will not leave Christianity. So it is so humbling. It is so overwhelming to be in touch with these Afghan Christians. And there is a woman who uh, is now here who is living in uh, deplorable conditions in one of the camps. Uh, I've if you don't mind me, I won't tell you which camp, but she um, is a Christian. She was telling me, she's a young woman. She was telling me that I'm afraid of uh, announcing that I'm a Christian. I'm a, cr- a Christian in hiding in the United States in an Afghan camp. Um, if they find out I'm a Christian, they will kill me. But I carry the cross on my shoulders. I carry it in my heart. Uh, and her mother and her sisters are left in Afghanistan. She's extremely scared for them. But yes, you're absolutely correct. We are uh, the light uh, in the very dark parts. And we all know that the gospel is the answer to the Middle East and the Middle East. And uh, we are called to answer the call for um, to, to stand with the body of Christ wherever it's suffering. And this is why it's so important to be on the news on this uh, on this program with you. Because in a very small way, uh, I'm able to be one of the voices for the voiceless. And um, we must continue to pray. Prayer is extremely important. Countless of miracles have come through prayer, but also prayer needs to lead to action. And I'm praying that by uh, your listeners going to our website, seeing what the needs are, 
uh, maybe do prayer campaigns, helping us with adopting family, refugee families that are in terrible conditions financially, or also taking part in Operation Return to Nineveh, which we help uh, people who are left in Iraq, who are the light inside Iraq, uh, to, uh, to be sustained in a very meaningful way, to bring dignity to their lives. So many, um, so many opportunities to engage, and uh, topping the list is prayer. Let me direct everyone listening to IraqiChristianRelief.org. Juliana, be assured of um, our ongoing uh, prayers for you, and we want to have you come back and talk with us, win or lose. How's that sound? Win or lose? That's because ultimately that's we win. <laughs> the, exactly, exactly. Amen. This already has been a blessing. Um, Carmen, and I will ask your listeners and you to pray for God's will to come to pass. And if he sees us really um, being capable and being his hands and feet on the ground for us to to win in order for us to be a bigger voice, a much larger voice for the persecuted church and, and those who really need our Christian love. We love you, my sister. We'll talk with you again soon. We have to take a very brief break now. We'll be right back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, it's uh, it's coffee day, which is why Paul Perot has been playing so many coffee-related bumpers. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, coffee and tea and whatever else uh, gets you going in the morning. Uh, let us be people who are in the Word of God before we get out there into the w- world that God so loves. We are, as the Faith Radio family, reading the first ch- six chapters of Daniel this week. If you want to join us in that, just go to MyFaithRadio.com. There is a scroller right now on our Daniel study. My colleague Susie Larson also has a Wisdom and Strength for the Times blog posted at MyFaithRadio.com. We've got all kinds of, uh, of resources there. You've got a downloadable Bible study guide for the first six chapters of Daniel. We also have a podcast by our colleague uh, Angela Smith. So just all kinds of really great things. Go and uh, join us in the Daniel study this week at MyFaithRadio.com. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.